This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Month. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Spertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 43. I'm your host Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. And this is Zach. And we are bringing you the latest comic news from... Well, but at this point it's been over three weeks since we've had a comic cast. Um, and this episode is posting well later than it should have. But we're getting it out and we're going to try to get you the news in a reasonable manner. We do have a lot to talk about, and we also have about nine comics we're going to cover in this episode, and anything we don't cover in this episode, we will cover in the next one. We also have to talk a little bit about what happened at C2E2, and then, as I said, nine comics. A whole nine comics. Holy missing relatives! Let's get into comic news, and the first thing we've got is... On April 14th, The Source posted up an announcement that Batwoman will in fact be getting her own series. With the Greg Rucka departure, J.H. Williams will be acting as the first writer and artist on the book. Williams will be teaming up with W. Hayden Blackman for writing duties for the first arc, and Williams will then hand over the art duties to Amy Reader. There's a bunch of comments from all of the different creators that are involved in this. What do you think about Batwoman getting her own series with Rucka nowhere near it? I'm hesitant. I'm glad that they were able to be smart enough to say wow, this is a sinking ship. We need to get J.H. Williams before this gets any worse. Because they really dropped the ball in Detective, as we discussed the last show. So I'm, I'm hesitant, but let's see how J.H. Williams writes it. It is a shame that we're never going to see uh, Rucka's full story. Yeah, I agree with Josh. I'm extremely hesitant, especially because of the writer that they went out and got doesn't have a lot of experience writing anything but Star Wars, from what I've read. And at least they did go out and get J.H. Williams to come back, and he'll do some writing, and he'll do the artwork. But, yeah, I don't, I'm interested to see where this goes, but I'm not extremely optimistic. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is going to be an interesting thing one way or the other. I mean, the good thing is, at least the creator, and this is no disrespect to Greg Rucka, but at least the creator who's been nominated for a lot of awards based on this Batwoman stuff is still on the Batwoman stuff. Not that Rucka's stories were bad or anything, but the art is really what's been getting a lot of the attention. And with J.H. Williams locked on to continue doing the art for the series, at least right away, you know, that's a that's a plus. But I've never, I, I can't say that I've ever read anything by J.H. Williams, so I'll have to see about that. Alright, so then later in that day, April 14th, uh, there was an interview posted up at Newsarama and Comic Book Resources. Different interviews, obviously, at the different sites. But uh, they both interviewed Williams about his role in the new series. And we posted up the highlights of those two interviews. Now, we're not going to go over all of them, uh, mostly because a lot of it's redundant. But what we can tell you about about these highlights was basically this was something that was sprung on at the last minute and it was probably in regards to exactly what happened with Greg Rucka like what Josh was saying earlier about the sinking ship and they need they made sure that 
to try to keep it from sinking even further. It's pretty evident by the fact that they planned this all within a short amount of time from the time Rucka departed DC. So have a nice day. All right. So moving along into some other news, the next thing we've got there was an interview on April 14th that my, that Comic Book Resources did with Mike Martz. You can check that out on the websites. Nothing really newsworthy in that one, so we're not really going to cover that. The next thing we've got April 14th there was an interview with Grant Morrison talking about. Bruce Wayne's return, again, nothing really that great. So we're going to move into April 16th with the DC Nation panel at C2E2. There wasn't a ton of things that was announced. Honestly, C2E2, great convention, gotta say, awesome convention. Has the ability to become much larger than San Diego down the line just because of the space and everything that's there at the facility itself. Great turnout. Great exhibitors, great vendors, everything was pretty good about it. I don't really have any major complaints other than DC didn't really let a whole lot of news out. It was really, hey, we're going to do question and answer sessions like we always do, but we're not really going to have a whole lot to say, I guess. The Batman panel was kind of a disappointment because there was only Mike Martz was there, Dustin Wen, who was already there, happened, you know, was on the panel too, and then Tony Daniel, who was also, who lives in Chicago, for instance, was there as well. And then Gail Simone showed up halfway through. It's kind of like, uh, oh, well, that's awesome that you have a Batman panel and you have very little creators show up, but whatever. Uh, nonetheless, uh, on Friday, April 16th, there was a couple highlights from the DC Nation panel, and let's go over some of them. Tim Drake will, in fact, have a much larger role in the Batman universe once Bruce returns. Morrison will also bring Tim into his stories during Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne. Um, a fan asked about the inconsistency of the Bat books, to which Dan DiDio replied that each book should follow the main storyline but have its own feel. Joker will, re- will be returning soon. And a fan asked about Simon Dark being cancelled, to which DiDio said that despite his love for the character, they did not have any current direction for the character. Aww. So, that's the DC Nation panel. Let's go into the DC Universe panel, which was on that Saturday, April 17th. The highlights include the Justice League will stay the same once Bruce returns. This means that Grayson will still, in fact, be on the team as well as be the leader. Uh, with Dick being in the Justice League and Supergirl coming to the team in a couple of issues, Batman and Supergirl will create a more current version of the world's finest. Cassandra Kane will have a place in the DC Universe. DC just doesn't know when or how yet. Didn't they say last year that, don't worry, Cassandra fans, 2010's going to be a very big year for Cassandra? Uh, we just not sure. We haven't planned it yet, and we're you know, five out of 12 months into the year, and we're still not sure. But it'll be a big year for Cassandra fans. I'm I'm starting to think that we're not going to see any Cassandra in any of 2010, and we'll be lucky if we see it any time in the near future. It's, you know, when I heard that comment when they said the thing about, oh, we we, we don't know what we're going to do with her, it was like, well, then what was the point of saying that exact comment that you just said, you know, Oh, 2010 is going to be the year if you had no intention or no idea of what you were going to do with the character. The only other possibility would be that they had an idea, they had a direction, and then something happened or or the story had to change or who knows what. But that's why she's not in the book. But I don't know. 
I think that they just made throw that comment out there, thinking that they'd come up with something because they didn't want the Cassandra fans mad at them again. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, God. Adam, Adam Beechin, you know, good old Adam Beechin wrote that Batgirl series back in 2008. And when he wrote that series, you know, he, he might have pitched it with only two words. And Batman Beyond was pitched with only two words. Oh, my God. And maybe, just maybe... The two words were... The two words were Cassandra Kane. I think we just solved the biggest mystery of 2010. So far. Yes. Well, if it's Adam Beachin, I'm sorry, Cassandra <laughs> fans. <laughs> I really am. All right. So then the last panel from C2E2 that we covered was the Batman panel. And of course, because it's a Batman panel, there's a lot of lot more things that came out of this. So we're going to roll through a, a couple of these and we'll take breaks and discuss a couple of them. Batman number 700 has added David Finch to the list of artists for the interiors. Finch was already announced to do the cover for the issue. Batman 700 will feature secret galleries of Bat locations such as the Bat Cave, Bat Bunker... And it will also feature some pinups. Batman 701 and 702 will be written by Grant Morrison with art by Tony Daniel. The two issues will serve as the lost chapters of Batman R.I.P. It will also piece together the events that occurred during Final Crisis. Alright, so let's stop right there. And uh, So we get two issues over a year later to explain the fallout of R.I.P. Well, that'll appease some of the people who said, I wanted to read about what happened in Batman's title, and I just read all of R.I.P., and now it wants me to read Final Crisis? You know, how dare you, DC? How dare you? So, yeah. there you go. You, you, all you guys had to do was wait a year. Yeah, I mean, I, I love years. Grant Morrison. Everybody knows that, but why are we backtracking? Why, why are we going back a year now when there's enough... I know why. Ridiculousness going on as it is. Think about it. This is why. 700 comes out in June. July is 701. August is 702. September, which is also the same time that Return of Bruce Wayne is also going to be ending, will be 703, which can mark the beginning of everything. That's also when Batman Robin, the current run that they're doing on Batman Robin with Fraser Irving and then whoever goes after Fraser Irving. No, Fraser Irving is the last one. Those issues will end in August too, leaving September as a new fresh start for Bruce Wayne to return. So I think basically they had no idea what to do. DC was like, well, we could have Tony Daniel do a two-part story about Dick Grayson, but the focus isn't going to be on Dick Grayson these next couple months. It's going to be on Bruce Wayne and his return. So what would be the point of having a two two-issue story about Bruce, uh, you know, Dick as Batman, if Bruce is going to be returning? This way, they bring Bruce back in for those people who are specifically, I want to read Bruce's Batman, nobody else. And then it gets them back into it, so that way, by the time September rolls around, they can hit us with, you know, 15 books for the month and expect us to buy them all. Alright, so moving on, let's go on to some of this other stuff that they had. Birds of Prey will be setting up shop in Gotham with a brand new base that will change the skyline of Gotham. Can we say Clock Tower, possibly? Watch... <laughs> they're gonna kick, they're they're gonna kick Chloe out of Watchtower. Yeah, yeah. Batman will require the assistance of the Birds of Prey. Oracle will become a much larger character in the entire DC universe. 
1999. David Hine will be taking over writing duties on Azrael with this issue coming out, with the issue coming out in July. AKA it'll be canceled by October. I was just going to say that. They plan on keeping this book going till July. Good luck. I, you know, not, I don't want to, I, you know, the comments that are coming out here, I don't want to give David Hine any, like, bad juju because of these comments. It's not Hine. He's, I think Hine does an awesome job of writing. No, it's Azrael. It's Azrael. Azrael itself, unless Denny O'Neill is writing it. Well, really, I think Denny O'Neill writing it was just. Just hey, no, we're gonna nobody cares lighting. about this version of Azrael. Well, even so, I think the Azrael from the 90s lasts as long as it did because Denny O'Neill was doing it, and it was like, well, Denny O'Neill's doing it. We have to let him keep doing it. Right. You attach that name, and people will, will buy that book, and they're not going to cancel a book right away when you put Denny O'Neill on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining about David Hine, even though I'm not his cheerleader, um, but yeah, Azrael, Azrael just has no business being a title anymore. Very true. Alright, as Batwoman appears in her own series, she will continue to be independent of the other Bat family members, but also be involved in the various stories taking place in the Batman universe. They basically said she's not going to be in the other Batman stories, but she will be. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) That's just saying, hey, she's going to have her own series. She will be independent, but she may appear in other stories. So in other words, they don't know when she's going to appear. Uh, the Outsiders have taken a much larger role in the overall DC Universe instead of being based in Gotham and working with Batman. Huh? All, really? I, all I have to say about that is I hope Dan DeNeo is not still writing them when that time rolls around. Outsiders have broken up. <laughs> Outsiders no longer exist. They, they, they broke up. Well, they'll get back together. All right, Grant Morrison will be sticking around after Bruce Wayne returns. More announcements of what he will be involved in will come this summer, I'm supposing, at San Diego. Uh, Comments was made about the possible return of the Joker, to which Mike Martz replied, Where is the Joker? Who is the Joker? When is the Joker? Okay, Mike Martz, you can't answer a question with three more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler, uh, can can we say? Yeah, go ahead. Spoiler alert, he's over on Sexton. Where is the Joker in Batman and Robin issue 12? Who is the Joker? Oberon Sexton. When is the Joker in last week's issue of Batman and Robin, as of this recording? Your move, Mike Martz. All right. The Batman Beyond storyline will exist in its own timeline and not cross into what is currently happening in the Bat books. Uh, Stephanie Brown will start to require Oracle's assistance less and less as she becomes into her own... A.K.A. Barbara Gordon is moving into uh, the Birds of Prey series, so she's going to be featured less in Batgirl. Bummer. Alright, there are plans for Morrison to continue on Batman and Robin through issue 16 currently, which we mentioned earlier. That's with Frazier Irving as of right now. Uh, Catgirl will be a character that Daniel will flesh out as time goes on, probably once he is back as the regular writer on... Batman after his work on his work with Morrison because we do know that Tony Daniel is coming back on Batman and with Batman 703 in September uh, once he fleshes out the character he will consider the character getting passed to another writer such as Paul Dini in Gotham City Sirens somebody call Black Mask and I will be surprised if Gotham City Sirens makes it to September 
But we said the same thing in November, and here we are in May. Alright, the next thing we've got is moving way far along to May 1st. We've got uh, an interview that was posted up by Comic Resources that was done with David Hine. A couple of things that about his current story in Detective Comics, which we'll obviously review the first issue in a little bit. But uh, the thing that's more important to talk about is this one specific question. And it says, And speaking of collaborators, you and Jeremy Hahn are moving from your Arkham run of stories into Azrael with July number 10. In general, what clicks in that partnership and in what ways are your strengths suited to a book like Azrael? I would have loved to work with Jeremy again, but that solicit was a little premature. Jeremy is committed to his creator-owned work for the immediate future, so he wasn't able to commit to an ongoing series. The artist will be Gillian March. Gillian is a terrific artist. I'm just starting to discover the massive body of work he has done in Europe before he began working for the U.S. publishers. I think Azrael is a book where he'll be able to show off a side to his work that the American audience hasn't seen yet. So David Hine is now reading erotic comics because that's what Gillian March did before he came to the U.S. Pretty much. Yep. <laughs> and but it's also good to hear that the art is changing on Azrael too, which was not... <laughs> I don't remember seeing anything about that before. I think I remember such adjectives as being used as horrendous, terrible, with the artwork that is in the book right now. All right, so the last bit of news we've got is on May 5th, we had an interview that was done with Denny O'Neill by Newsarama, and there's a couple different questions and highlights that we're going to go over. So I'm going to read the questions from Newsarama, and then Zach is going to read for Denny O'Neill. With so much experience writing Bruce Wayne as Batman, how is it different for you having Dick in that role? Well, in my story, Dick Grayson still feels relatively new at the Batman game in a way that is freeing. Batman is not likely to make mistakes. He's a super competent guy, so a character who is able to stumble a little bit is a little easier to write. A lot of the story is first-person narrative, as Dick is remembering things that happened 20 years ago, and that's a pleasant way to write. And while I was doing his voice, I was a little freer with language than I would have been if it had been Bruce narrating it. Dick is a little more talkative and social in nature and not so obsessive. Within the issue, we get to see a story about Dick as Robin. Is it a flashback? Yes. We open on present-day Dick Grayson as Batman, and he flashes back to something that happens much earlier, when he was Robin, and that involved the Joker. It's just one issue, but it's part of a much larger story. How is the Joker involved? He's the main antagonist. He's certainly the one who sets the whole thing in motion in both present and past. So we get to see present-day Joker? He's behind the whole thing. Dick is following up on a case that was one of the very first he ever participated in, and he thinks an innocent man may have been blamed for murder, and the original crime involved the Joker. We see a lot of the Joker, and he's always a lot of fun to write. So the Joker's coming back, uh, besides you know a small appearance in Batman and Robin... You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Alright, so that's the end of the news. Let's get into our upcoming trade paperbacks for the next two weeks, which I know we missed a couple here and there because we were gone, but here's the next couple coming out of the next two weeks. On May 19th, as of right now, we have Batman Streets of Gotham, Volume 1, Hush Money. And this is... The solicitation for this one says, How will the police feel about Gotham City's new Dark Knight? And can he control the crime in Gotham the way the old Batman did? 
Commissioner Gordon's about to find out as he teams up with the new Batman to combat the fiery threat of Firefly in this new hardcover collecting Batman Streets of Gotham number 1 through 4, Detective Comics 852, and Batman number 685. And this will be 144 pages and be $19.99. On May 26th, we have Batman Long Shadows, which reads, Can the new Batman maintain his grip on Gotham City's criminal element? With Bruce, Bruce Wayne gone in the wake of Batman R.A.P., Dick Grayson, formerly known as both Robin and Nightwing, becomes the new Batman. In this new hardcover collecting Batman number 687 through 691, and it's not long before the city's criminals put him to the test. With the Penguin intent on becoming Gotham's new crime kingpin and Two-Face waging a war of his own, how can any hero, let alone one who's just stepped into his role, stop them? It won't be easy, especially since he has to round up a posse of escaped Arkham Asylum inmates. This will be 128 pages and be 19.99. I gotta say, this is also written by Judd Winnick, with art by Mark Bagley. I'm going to completely not suggest this one. Four issues. That's all you're getting. Four issues. Five issues. Could Judd Winnick? Five issues. Could Judd Winnick maintain his grip on the page? No, he didn't. That's all you need to know. Pretty much. All right, and then the last one, also on May 26th, is DC's Greatest Imaginary Stories, Volume Two: Batman and Robin. Don't miss this new set of 60s and 70s imaginary tales starring Dick Grayson as the new Batman with Bruce Wayne Jr. as the new Robin. Collect stories from Batman number 122, 131, 135, 145, 154, 159, 163, 300, Lois Lane number 89 and World's Finest number 153. This will be 144 pages and be 1999. I would rather buy this than the Judd Winnick Batman series. Yes, I would too. Brian Bowen cover, and if Bruce Wayne Jr. doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. A blonde-haired Joker can. Yes. <laughs> All right. So with that being said, let's get into our comic reviews. We got nine comics to cover, and the first one we're going to be covering is unfortunately Azrael. Watch yourselves, man. These guys are crazy. Azrael number seven, written by Fabian Nisaiza, with artwork by Ramon Box. The issue opens 30 years ago in England, where we see a mother asking why her oldest daughter Angela is always torturing her younger sister. We move to 20 years ago, where Angela continues to upset her younger sister. And then 10 years ago, where Beatrice, the youngest sister, has killed herself. We then move to 20 years ago in Gotham City, where we see a young boy named Willis being kidnapped by a shadowy figure. We then return to present day, where Azriel is fighting two assassins, demanding to know where the boy is. He is able to stab one of the assassins, but the other escapes. We then cut to Michael Langs, sitting in with temporary psychologists. The two seem to have more than just a patient-doctor relationship. We then cut to an interrogation room where the man that was wounded by Azrael sits alone. On the other side of the glass, Bulk learns that the man is a kidnapper with a rather legendary reputation for ransom kidnappings. Back at the church, Michael is being accused of being obsessed with this certain kidnapping by Felicity. Adrian and Garrett both tell Michael that children get kidnapped every day. Not everyone can be saved. Michael tells them to shut up and let him do, his, do the job that they gave him and leaves. The three then discuss Michael's march towards madness. We then cut to Michael again meeting with the psychologist. She asks Michael about the kidnapping that continues to bother him, and he briefly lashes, lashes out in rage. She quickly comforts him and asks him what would he do as a man, not a cop. And then we get a panel that indicates that she may have something to do with all of this. We cut to the courthouse where Kate Spencer 
announces that she will not pursue a case against Jennifer Lane for the killings of Marion and Gwendolyn Lane. Michael thanks her, and she wishes him good luck. Outside the courthouse, Jenny asks Michael if it's all over, and he explains that they found her not responsible, that someone drugged her or something, and that's why she, why she killed them. She asks if he knows that to be true, and he says that he does, and then leaves them. That night, Michael sets out to find Hyde and the missing boy as Asriel. He travels to Gotham Central booking station and slips past the guards. Asriel approaches the cell of the kidnapper he injured earlier. The man tells him to make his pain stop, and Asriel offers him a deal. He tells Asriel where Hyde is keeping the boy, and the pain goes away. We cut back to the office with Michael and the psychologist. She explains that she lost her sister and father. She also begins discussing seeking justice, and, and Michael explains that his chance is gone now that he's no longer a cop. She then asks him if what he fears is not being able to make a difference anymore. We cut to Asriel looking down at an abandoned warehouse. Inside, we find the missing boy tied up in Hyde taunts him from the shadows. We then see Asriel insert red paint into the sprinkler system and then turn the valve, setting them off. The paint sprays onto Hyde, who is confused. Asriel then plunges out and attacks Hyde. Hyde goes to attack Asriel and goes through him, landing on the ground in front of the boy. As he looks at him, he sheds a tear. He then gets up and looks back at Asriel when Asriel then uses his sword to remove his head. Asriel informs the boy that the police are on their way and exits the warehouse. Michael's phone begins to ring and it's the psychologist. She congratulates him and he explains to her that he knows she isn't really a psychologist. He asks who she is and she explains that she is here to set him free. She says that her employer wishes to see his playthings happy and to enjoy his freedom. And that is the end of Asriel number seven. We wouldn't want our little caged rodent to suffocate, so we'll just punch some air holes. <laughs> All right, and now let's head on into Red Robin. We start off in the Batcave, and we get kind of through Oracle's dialogue a little bit of a recap as she's trying to get in touch with uh, Dick Grayson. You know, uh, she's being locked out of uh, the network for some reason. Things are being shut down. And there's ninjas coming into the Batcave. And we get some narration. One of Ra's al Ghul's people is giving the narration about that there's people entering the Batcave to terminate Barbara Gordon. And that there's two more following Alfred Pennyworth. Basically, the League of Assassins are spread all over Gotham about to kill various associates of Tim Drake and Bruce Wayne. Two of those associates who are in the crosshairs right now are Vicky Vale and Tam Fox. Vicky has finally approached Tam Fox after trying to track her and Tim down for a while, and she does an interrogation. But uh, it's stopped by Tam noticing a little red dot on Vicky Vale's forehead. And since she knows that Vicky Vale is an Indian, she knows that something's up with that, so she's like, get down! And it's the uh, sniper's bullet goes off. Tim, Stephanie, and Prudence continue to attack uh, Ra's al Ghul's more colorful uh, henchmen, with Tim ordering Prudence not to do any killing. She's like, you're insane! I'm League of Assassins! But they do manage to defeat them, and uh, even capture uh, one of the guys to interrogate him. So they ask him who's who, who's being targeted by Ra's al Ghul tonight, and he answers in the form of a riddle. The butler, the cop and his daughter, the first love, the whore thief, the son, the doctor, the replacement, the reporter, the steward, the girl apprentice. And before Tim could do anything else, uh, this in little interrogation session is busted by the new Batman and Robin. 
and it doesn't take long for Prudence and Damien to recognize each other, and Damien basically goes nuts. I know her! Assassin! And Tim's able to actually take Damien out to the ground, earning him a little bit of respect because he didn't think that Tim would ever associate with the League of Assassins or be able to take him down. We cut back to the captured Tommy Elliot. If you remember last issue, there was a brief scene of Roz's men taking Tommy Elliot in a limo. They're taking him somewhere because Roz has plans with him, and they're arriving at their destination, which is uh, attorneys at Law Place. One of the names is Dawes. I'm assuming that that's a uh, reference to Rachel Dawes from Batman Begins. Tam Fox and Vicky Vale are still trying to get away from the ninja assassins, and Vicky Vale, uh, with her years of reporter training, is able to hit one of them on the head with a shovel. She hits one of them on the head with a shovel, but they can only hold them off for so long. And Vicky uses this opportunity to interrogate Tam some more. So Tam, not wanting to give away Tim's secret, which I wonder if anyone remembers that Vicky already knows that as of Gotham Gazette, Batman Alive. Tam does the first cover story that she can think of by saying, oh, well, we're engaged, which is perfect because then Batgirl arrives to save them from the ninjas right there. But unfortunately, Batgirl does overhear the engagement announcement, which doesn't make her feel too good because Tim is her recently reunited ex-boyfriend. Back on the rooftop uh, with Red Robin, Batman and Robin, and Prudence. There's some arguments going on with finally Red Robin telling Dick to, look, you just need to trust me. I have a plan. I got this. You need to listen to what I'm saying. And they talk about the different people that are targeted. And people who are being targeted are Damian Wayne, Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon, Alfred Pennyworth, Julie Madison, which is really weird because... She's never used, and it's completely disregarding her messed up continuity. Stephanie Brown, Vicki Vale, Lucius Fox, Selena Kyle, and Jim Gordon. There is League of Assassin members ready to strike at them all at once, and Raz al Ghul is standing in his little tower telling them that basically they can fire when ready as we see Red Robin swinging in the distance, getting ready to confront Raz, and that's to be concluded. This is how I'll always remember you. Surrounded by winter, forever young, forever beautiful. Rest well, my love. The monster who took you from me will soon learn that revenge is a dish best served cold. Alright, so the next one we've got is Batman's Treats of Gotham number 11. So we start off right where the last issue ended, where Colin is waking up after being hit over the head by... Damien, and he's saying he needs to start changing himself slowly. So he changes his foot first, as we know Colin is a, is the character abuse, and he starts changing. He makes his way to the arena where Zaz is about to stab Damien in the head, and he says, "Nope, you've got to stop." And the crowd starts throwing bottles at him and saying, "Oh, you're gonna stop him." Zaz goes after abuse, and he changes completely and overpowers Zaz and smashes his head into the ground. He starts taking down the stadium itself, knocking down the walls and the barriers and the pillars holding up the stands and making the people all leave. So then after that, Damien wakes up, sees that Zaz is uh, laying there unconscious, sees this, you know, Colin taking out these people. He's going to grab a sword, put some blood over his face to try to give himself a mask, and start taking out some of these people as well. Abuse is taking out people left and right. 
And there's an inner monologue where he's talking about if people are going to watch children get murdered, then they're just as bad as Zaz murdering them and they can be taken out too. Then we skip ahead where Batman has decided he's going to find out what's going on and comes across two henchmen who are leaving the stockyard. They tell him what happened and Zaz forced them to get these people and put these people, take the kids and kidnap them. Batman decides he's going to tie up the henchmen and go inside. As he goes inside, he sees some events unfolding. Zaz is waking up because his uh, henchman buddy is helping him up and Zaz has decided he needs to kill Damien and this character Abuse. He starts slicing people to get to them, saying he's going to kill him. He stabs, he jumps on Abuse, wraps around his neck, and stabs him a couple times in the shoulder. Damien jumps in, punches him in the face, and decides that he's going to cut him. And then at that point, Abuse says, no, don't kill him. Batman could have killed me once, and he didn't, and that's what makes him a hero. Then, all of a sudden, Zaz jumps up and stabs him. Well, Damien has had enough and starts slicing the crap out of him all over the place, kicking him, slices him, and all of a sudden, Zaz goes from seeing Damien as a corpse to seeing him as an actual person, which means he's no, not longer, he's no longer intended to die. We can see a nice big page of Damien slicing Zaz in the stomach, and Zaz is sitting there making comments about how this is the last hatch mark, He's bleeding to death and he rolls into the pit. Batman shows up, says, You didn't kill him, did you? And he says, And Damien says, No, I specifically cut him an inch away from his spine so that I didn't sever his spine. And that's pretty much the end of it. Then, in the Manhunter co feature, to make a really long story short, Ramsey, uh, Kate Spencer's son, has taken a train to Gotham City. He's wandering the streets. Kate Spencer's entire family, her ex-husband, and all these other people have come to Gotham trying to find Ramsey. And uh, meanwhile, in the middle of all of this, Kate has to go to court to deal with Jeremiah Arkham having to go to jail. He pleads not guilty. They say he needs to go to Arkham Asylum. The judge agrees. Then we get to another part where Jane Doe is going to see a doctor for a project that we don't know. Kate sees her family, and the family says we need to find Ramsey. They all leave looking for Ramsey, and Ramsey just happens to be... So Ramsey's standing in front of a used office furniture store, and he comes across a gang who says that they're going to take his money and, and beat him up. Great bunch of guys trying to beat up a kid. And that is to be continued. How do you solve this contraption, Nigma? Easy. You just have to be a genius. Gotham City Sirens number 11, written by Paul Dini, with artwork done by Andres Gilnado. The issue opens with Selina on a mooring jog when she is confronted by two men. She is defensive at first, but they explain that they only want to talk. The two men are named Joel and David, and they are putting the word out about their missing dog, Bentley. The men ask to keep an eye out for him and that he is the fifth dog to go missing this week. Selena heads home when Ivy comes out headed for her first day at work. Selena heads inside and her and Harley discuss Ivy having a job. Selena is skeptical while Harley seems to be quite optimistic. 
Selena tells Harley about the missing dogs and decides to go looking without the costumes. At Star Labs, Ivy is introduced to her new colleagues. Ivy announces that they are all fired and sprays them with her potion. Ivy leaves them to exit and heads into the greenhouse. We cut to Harley and Selena as they ask around about the missing dogs. They learn that many others have also had their dogs go missing recently. Three hours later, the girls are headed home when they come up upon two men beating a dog into a cage in an alleyway. Selena identifies them as members of the Eastside Dragons who are notorious for staging illegal dog fights. Selena goes to call the cops when Harley quickly reacts and attacks the two men. The two make quick work of the men and discovers, discover several other dogs. They head back to the house with the dogs. In the back, the girls discover that Harley's hyenas are also responsible for the missing dogs. Holly discovers a chewed-up collar with the name Bentley on it. The girls decide to explain to the two men that, unfortunately, that they got to Bentley too late, not mentioning the hyenas, but instead they offer them a little dog as a replacement, and they accept. On their way home, Selena confesses that she donated the hyenas to the zoo which upsets Harley, but they really had no choice. Back at Star Labs, Ivy continues to abuse her power as the new director. Ivy enters a room where she is then shot down through some industrial dehydrator that the recently fired staff designed. The former doctor's assistant, Elisa, is aware that Ivy is an imposter. Elisa puts all the pieces together and reveals that she knows that she is poison Ivy. Ivy tries to convince her it is not true, but Elisa decides either way she needs to be out of the picture and turns the dehydrator up to be continued. Nice work, Butterfingers. Why didn't you just turn on the bat signal while you were at it? I wasn't trying to get caught. Could have fooled me. Hey, aren't you that plant lady, Poison Oaky? Ivy, Poison Ivy. Sorry. Harley Quinn, pleased to meet you. All right, so that's going to take us into Detective Comics 864, which is going to kick off the first issue with the story by David Hine. And this is continuing uh, essentially the three-part story arc of the David Hine's Arkham Asylum story, which started off last year in Battle for the Cowl, the Battle for the Cowl Arkham Asylum one-shot, and then last fall we had the three-issue miniseries Arkham Reborn, and now, finally, over a year after it first started, we get the conclusion to the Arkham Asylum three-part story, Detective Comics. So we start off with a nice facial comparison between Jeremiah Arkham, the Jester, and then Black Mask. We see Batman, Batman with the gas mask, Batman with the beard, which I would assume would be Hugo Strange. And then we see the three No-Faces, or actually... We see a couple of the no-faces, and then we see Alice Sin wearing some kind of mask. Basically, a good part of this story starts off with Jeremiah Arkham going over a bunch of people around Gotham. Nightwing, Catwoman, Batman, Robin, Bruce Wayne, and how this whole entire thing about him becoming a schizophrenic started by him treating Hugo Strange because Hugo Strange was trying to prove that Bruce Wayne was in fact Batman. And by that, made him go insane. Then we cut to Jeremiah Arkham, who's sitting in the cafeteria of Arkham Asylum, getting, eating his food, and he has a person who's known as the Mortician telling him that the inmates have decided that they're going to have... every meal is going to include some kind of contribution of body fluids. He tells the Mortician, you need to uh, give me your plate. You need to exchange trays with me. Where the mortician in turn says, well, you don't give orders anymore. Then uh, Arkham goes into this nice little 
ordeal about telling the mortician about exactly how he, everything he knows about him. He knows that he has a son. He has a grandson. He, he knows that he has a grandson, and his grandson, he knows exactly where he lives. And he's going to make a phone call, and he's going to have a digit sent to him every single year to know that he's still alive. And once 10 years passes, he'll deliver the, the, the final package in, in the person, and he's going to look at, look at him and say, you know, why didn't you just swap the tray? So the mortician stares back at him and swaps the tray. Then we cut to Gotham Central Precinct, where a gentleman has taken hostage a car- as a person and saying he demands to see Batman. Batman shows up, disarms him, lets the hostage go, and says, you've got my attention. He goes, I need to see Arkham. I need to see Arkham right away. He goes, you can't see Arkham. He goes, well, he's he's killed me. Then we find out while Arkham was Black Mask, he had Hugo Strange attach a electronic device to this gentleman's chest. Basically, it's a bomb, and Black Mask tells him to move money around here or there and whenever he tells him to, and then eventually when it's all said and done, he'll give him a code to deactivate the bomb. Well, now that Arkham's caught, he obviously doesn't have the ability to give him the code, so he's demanding to see Arkham so he can get the code to turn off the bomb. Batman reluctantly goes to Arkham Asylum to visit Jeremiah Arkham to get this code. Batman kind of has a discussion with Aaron Cash and... Alice Sinner about Jeremiah Arkham and how he is in fact a schizophrenic. Then we see Batman interrogating Jeremiah Arkham and Jeremiah Arkham the entire time is thinking that he's playing Batman. He thinks he knows exactly what he needs to do in order to play Batman. Batman tells him that you know he of all these years that he's ever been in charge of Arkham Asylum, he's a failure. He's just like his uh, grandfather and his grandfather's mother. They all eventually go nuts and they are all failures and they didn't help anybody and he goes i have cured people i've cured the beauties and he goes who are the beauties and he tells him there's these three people that i used that you know that i have in a special wing and he goes well i need to see these beauties well jeremiah says well they're not they don't want it they're not going to want to see you he goes well you're going to have to prepare them to see me because i i'm going to see them jeremiah goes into this room the three beauties are sitting in chairs staring at the wall away from arkham the jester appears, and the jester says, basically tells Arkham that he is a complete failure because he was supposed to be the doctor, and now he's done something really dumb, and he can't treat them anymore. The beauties all turn around, and we see that all the beauties actually have Jeremiah Arkham's face. Jeremiah Arkham grabs a knife and decides to murder them all. Batman walks in the room and says, Batman, you're watching me. You let me do this. Why? Why didn't you stop me? And that is to be continued. Alright, so then we get into the question co-feature, which blatantly, I'm just going to be completely short with this one. In the last one, we saw Huntress and the question come across Vandal Savage. Uh, Vandal Savage shares a nice little story about how uh, he thought he killed the question. Um, In fact, obviously, he didn't. And then there's basically... Huntress shoots Vandal Savage in the eye with an arrow. The arrow is stuck there, and the flames that are on Vandal Savage's face spread to his eye once he pulls out the arrow. They have a nice little discussion, and 
ends up he ended he actually called the meeting to meet these two and he goes uh you're going to help me because if you don't both of you will die here and that's to be continued as well before you throw everyone in the pot penguin you may find yourself in hot water bad girl how did you find this place i just adore weddings penguin well, funerals before weddings bad girl Get her! Batgirl issue 9, the beginning of the Reign storyline, which is odd because they were kind of doing this crossover with Red Robin, but the storyline's kind of now exclusively in Red Robin, even though Batgirl's still a part of it, so it was really weird. When I picked this up, I thought I missed an issue. Uh, Either continue the crossover back and forth until it's done, or just to have Batgirl guest star in Red Robin and ignore the events until the storyline's done, I don't know. It was kind of weird how they did it. Well, but it's back to business. There's a hostage situation on a train in Gotham. This guy's got dynamite to him. Batgirl's able to stop the situation before there's any casualties as she's doing her banter with Oracle. Jim Gordon actually gets to meet the new Batgirl and he approves of what she's doing, which makes her day, but then it starts raining, which ruins her day, which is weird. After all she's been through, it's like, oh man, it's raining. This stinks. Barbara Gordon and Wendy Harris are at Gotham University, and it's the same basic stuff that we've been getting with Babs and Wendy for the whole series. Oh, Wendy, you should really get out of your shell. Oh, I don't know, Babs. Meanwhile, Wendy's working on some machinery, and she fixes it, and... It makes her happy. It gets her out of her shell a little bit. And we get some flashbacks to some of the Wendy stuff, for those of you who don't know, how she was a part of the Teen Titans and how Wonder Dog turned into a demonic dog from hell and ate her brother half alive. And then the horrible events of the Oracle The Cure miniseries, which we will not mention again, although unfortunately we'll have to because they do tie in with the rest of this issue. Uh, Babs, of course, knows all about Wendy and her father, but she's plain dumb because Wendy was kind of too out of it to notice Babs at the end of the Oracle The Cure miniseries in her hospital room. Well, Stephanie comes in, and she's introduced to Wendy, and then Barbara takes her off to show her one of their new headquarters. It's called The Firewall. It's off the grid. It's uh, kind of like the clock tower except nobody can hack into it because it's not connected to the internet it you can go on the internet but you're not connected to it because they catch they catch the internet as it's going by it's a really weird explanation i i i i I can't make this thing make sense i'm sorry (laughs) read the issue but yeah it's it's or it's magic oracle computer stuff you know she can catch the internet without actually being on the internet she has like a big, you know, net, you know, outside of the house. And when little internets go by, they get caught in there like fish. Well, there's somebody murdering people and controlling them like with when they answer the phone. It does some weird binary code and it's taking control of their bodies. And that's the latest thing that Steph has to investigate. And it actually controls a security guard who goes a little nuts and he winds up almost killing himself by jumping out a window. Stephanie tries to save him, but she's not able to because she weighs too much and her bat rope can't pull him up. And Detective Nick is telling her to let it go. Detective Nick's been put on this case by Gordon because Gordon says, I know that you like the weird stuff, which is a weird compliment, by the way. Turns out that uh, it's nanites somehow going through the phone that's doing this as Oracle's investigating. And she orders Steph, oh my gosh, you have to get out now. This is too dangerous because... If it's nanites and they're doing this through the phone, it must be, dun-dun-dun, the calculator, who's controlling all of this from his evil lair, and right next to him is the corpse of his dead son, Marvin. Kind of creepy. And we're going to see more of that creepiness in the next issue of Batgirl.
Alright, so that's going to take us into Batman 698. We start off the issue with a interesting montage of Dick as a boy doing his acrobatic act with his parents at the circus when suddenly everything changes from being his mother and father to suddenly being Catwoman, suddenly being Jason Todd, moving on to Oracle, and even Bruce's skeleton. Then, as Bruce refuses to catch him, or I should say Bruce's skeleton refuses to catch him, Dick starts falling and falling and falling, and suddenly we find out that Dick is having a nightmare. He wakes up, and Alfred tells him that, you know, these... these uh, concoctions that Hugo Strange did with the gas mask are really affecting Dick and he's trying, they need to figure out a way to get rid of the toxins inside of his system. He gives him some detox tea. Then he says that Commissioner Gordon needs him and he obviously changes into Batman and then takes off. Uh, he meets Commissioner Gordon in an alley within some somewhere in Gotham City where they find a body that has slash marks all over it like you would normally see on a body like on Zaz's body. It's supposed to look like um, Zaz did the tallies, but the slashes were done post-mortem, so it's not Zaz who did it. Then Riddler shows up and says, you know, this is actually a serial killer who's doing this. And uh, Commissioner Gordon says, no, this is one murder. This doesn't mean it's a serial killer. He goes, well, exactly, but you should look in your morgue because there's other bodies that are stacking up. They go to the morgue and they find a body that has a bunch of puncture marks all over it, who is a financial guru, and the puncture marks were actually caused by birds. And the toxicology report says that he was actually poisoned. It had nothing to do with the birds, despite the fact that he was pecked to death. Or, well, he was pecked, not to death, but he was pecked after he was poison. We then see a flashback to when they found the bird or when they found the body and Kate Spencer and Commissioner Gordon were talking about it. Riddler happened to grab one of these birds and gave Batman one of these birds to study to see what was going on with it. Back at the Bat Bunker, Batman is trying to connect the first person, Laszlo Ranklin, uh, along with this second person who was murdered to be or to was murdered by poison to look like he was murdered by penguin um, as he starts connecting the two he figures out that there's another person who was killed and he found another person who's linked to them known as daryl whitman who has was linked to firefly batman goes to arkham asylum goes to talk to Firefly and says, I don't make deals uh, with people, but if you want, you can help us and save a life. Batman gets a phone call on Commissioner Gordon's cell phone and says, you have a total of five minutes to save a life. And Batman races through Gotham City trying to save a life when he comes across a woman who looks to be a hooker and says, oh, thank God you came, and suddenly she pulls out a, I guess, a flamethrower. She's throwing flames all over it, and then there's a bunch of uh, henchmen that show up and are trying to take Batman out, basically preventing him from getting wherever he's going. Batman picks up a pipe, takes them all out while he's on his bat ATV. 
he uh, bursts into a room and finds a man is looked to be killed by none other than Mr. Freeze. He's frozen in ice. Batman's still trying to figure out this connection. And Riddler shows up and says, you know, I, I've already figured this out. How come you haven't? I've, I, I have some clues that you might have missed. He shows Batman a bunch of pictures. And he shows him that there's a, there's a person in those pictures that are all... They're, they're at the crime scene of every single person who's died. The person is known as Sebastian Rothschild. He rents out a luxury condominium in Gotham's premier high-rises, and his only arrest was 15 years ago in New York for, for breaking and entering. He served three months of a three-year sentence. But the thing is that he has a knack for tricks and magic and all kinds of other stuff. Batman goes to his high-rise condominium, where he finds a henchman who was basically murdered, and the words, live by the sword or die by the sword, written on the wall in blood, along with all of these pictures of all of the murders that have taken place. Then, Batman figures out that this character, Blackspell, is actually watching, and he chases after him, he keeps chasing after him. Blackspell lets off some smoke grenades, and disappears, and as he disappears, Batman chases him down uh, an abandoned building. At the bottom of the abandoned building, building is the Riddler, who basically looks like he either had Joker Venom, I don't know, he looks like something really bad happened to his face, because his entire mouth and gum lines are all sticking out of his mouth, and his eyes are popping out of his head like... He got shocked with Joker Venom or something. So nonetheless, that is to be continued. And now, Outsiders, issue 29. Let me preface this uh, summarization by telling uh, you Batman Universe listeners, I am not making this up, because I could not make this up if I tried. We open up with a fashion designer who's very excited because he's meeting this model who's basically his hero and she's going to model for his outfits which he spent all this time working on specifically the her only to find out that uh she's ruined them all and in the process of ruining all of his clothes and ripping them up and canceling on his clothing line it's basically ruined him and his whole clothing design company i don't know how the fashion industry works but okay you know sure why not? This woman, uh, she's pretty mean. She fires one of her assistants on the spot because her assistant is being too plain. And she's being spied on by some guy. He looks like he's a Black Lantern, but he's not. He's a vampire. And he says one of the most confusing lines in the comic. A vampire hunter hunting a vampire that hunts vampires. That's verbatim. Because this is an Outsiders book, we actually do get to cut to something going on with the Outsiders. Al Mann's leaving Markovia because the Outsiders have broken up and Geoforce is like, you all gotta get out of here. Katana comes to say goodbye to him and he just basically says, Geoforce is crazy, why are you with him? Why don't you come with us? And she's like, that's why I need to stay because he is crazy. I need to keep him in line. And they kiss goodbye, which I don't think Geoforce is going to like that, because if I recall, she and Geoforce kind of had a kiss at the beginning of uh, that other run that everyone forgets about, but, oh well. So, this female fashion model, secretly a vampire, goes to a nightclub, and just basically being her icky self, uh, because I, there's another word for her behavior that I can't really use, 
and she monologues about how she fired her assistant because her assistant was a plain girl who reminded her of herself when she was younger, you know, married and boring, and she mentions her husband's name, Greg, which becomes very important later on in the story because they called so much attention to it. When the vampire hunter who hunts vampires, whatever they want to call it, comes, his name is Stake, and uh, they're fighting in the middle of the... Yeah, his name is Steak. Oh, and her name is Looker, apparently, too. And he calls her a word a lot that rhymes with itch. It's used a few times during the battle. And she doesn't want all these people to know that, like, this big supermodel fashion girl is a vampire. So she sprays them with, like, amnesia, vampire powers. Yeah, I don't know. And then Steak's like, I know. I have some leverage that will help. And she's like, leverage? Oh, no. And you've ruined my dress. So he's outside of a house looking at some guy who he's going to use as leverage to get Looker killed or whatever. When she shows up and she's like, I'm sorry, I had to change before I went to fight you again. The heck? And she tricks him. She's like, hey, how about you join me? So he's like, you know what? This girl's kind of hot. So they start to almost kiss. Then she kills him. And then she gets mad because in the process of killing him, she's ruined another dress. And, by the way, that guy who uh, was going to be attacked, that was her husband, Greg. Oh, she cared about him all along. This is a deep story because the mean supermodel woman who hates everybody, she has a soft spot for her ex-husband or still husband who's about to be attacked. Meanwhile, that guy who she ruined at the beginning of the story, that fashion designer... He's at a bar. He's pretty drunk when the spirit of Veritas comes and gives him a sword and says, Now you are my herald. And that's the end of the issue. And if you've made it this far, bravo. If you think I've been bad news before. And that takes us to Superman Batman number 71. The issue opens with Anderson Gaines aboard a ship in space. He is then confronted by Batman and he quickly changes into the Durlin. We then cut to the Arctic Circle where we see Superman and Energy X continuing to battle in the Fortress of Solitude. Angered Energy X's mass destruction, Superman quickly defeats him. We then cut back to the ship, where Batman is struggling to keep pace with the Durlin. The Durlin then turns his back on Batman. Batman then opens fire on the Durlin with flamethrowers and exploding batarangs. As the Durlin lay in pain, Batman attempts to stop the ship. However, the system is locked, and Gaines says he cannot stop him now, and he is prepared to die. Is Batman, he asks. Batman then connects with Superman and explains that the ship is headed straight towards Metropolis. Just then, the Durlin attacks Batman. As Batman is getting it handed to him, Superman flies off, leaving the Fortress of Solitude. Just then, Superman comes busting into the ship, screaming, Anderson. Superman explains that he wants him one-on-one. The ship continues to enter the Earth's atmosphere. While Superman and the Durlin have it out, Batman is trying to keep the ship from crashing into Metropolis. Superman and the Durlin go toe-to-toe until Superman freezes him, and Batman is able to keep the ship from crashing into Metropolis, and it lands in the ocean. As the two begin to exit the sinking ship, Anderson goes to shapeshift while he's still frozen, and he shatters and perishes. The issue ends with Batman and Superman discussing each other's morals and the morals of the Durlins. And that is the end of Superman Batman number 71. Alright, so that's going to take us into our review wrap-up. Let's start off with Azrael. Do I have anything good to say about Azrael? No. Is it a surprise? No. Can't wait till the artist is gone. It'll be nice to see Fabian back with Tim Drake uh, next month. We have one more issue. Well, we actually have two more issues of Azrael with Fabian on it because 
he did write the issue for June as well. But really, I think if the art artists change, and we say this every time, and it sounds like a broken record, but honestly, if the art changed, the story might be different. But th there's nothing about this character that any of us like. So I give this one out of five batteries. This story is not interesting to me. I don't care about the character of Michael Lane. I think that that was one of the biggest problems with getting this title off the ground. There's really not a lot of new things to say from me about this title. The art isn't ugly to look at. It's not too beautiful either, though. And look, they can have Michelangelo paint this comic. That's not going to save it from a bad story and a character I don't care about. So I'm going to have to say two out of five batterings. I actually thought that the story in this issue was a little bit better than usual. Um, but the artwork is, is just, it's, it's not any good. And again, I just don't see, while I said the story was better than usual, it's still, it's not anything that really needs to be there. It's just, I don't see the use for this title. And the thing is, is I, I want this book to work for Fabian because I see that he's trying to kind of, you know, build this Asriel mythology with like what he has, but it's just not working. So I'll give this one out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give it a total of one out of five bad ranks. All right, so moving into Red Robin number 11. I have to say, Chris Yost, he can tell an interesting story. It's just his way of telling the story is not that interesting, if that makes any sense. The art, I've got no problem with the art. I just think that this issue specifically was more filler than anything else. Especially since, I know this is kind of cheating, but, you know, Issue 12's come out, and, and I've already read it. And actually, Issue 12's come out, so I've already read it, so I know what happens. Which is besides the point, but at the same time, after reading Issue 12, this is, seems like a giant waste. So I'm going to give it only two out of five bad ranks. Red Rock, it seems like they're starting to wrap this up, and the title's improved since they've gotten back to Gotham, and since... They started telling things in a linear storyline, but some of the stuff, there's a little bit too much of the jumping back and forth, which I like the jumping back and forth. I like that we have all these plot lines going around, but when you just have Tommy Elliot there for one page, just to remind you, oh, by the way, this is going on with Tommy Elliot. Look, he's at our lawyer's office. You know, cool. I like that they were targeting... The League was targeting all these Batman's associates. I thought it was weird that, like, they said first love, and they kind of threw Julie Madison in there because her place in Batman continuity is so messed up right now because they did that miniseries a few years ago where they recreated her, and she was in the Peace Corps and everything, but after she dropped out of law school. But then Grant Morrison brought her back, and his Batman stories as via flashbacks as kind of the same way she was in the Golden Age, so... Why is she in Gotham if she's supposed to be living in Africa? And if this is the Golden Age, Julie Madison, she's the one who moved to Europe and became a princess? I kid you not. <laughs> I kid you not. There was a 70s story where they did. So, I don't know. It's, it's all confusing, but that's just a minor thing. That's just my continuity stuff. This was kind of just, when you watch a TV show and you get to that episode before the season finale... Usually not a lot happens in that episode. It's just everyone kind of getting into the place that they need to be for the season finale. And that's what this felt like. There was some humor there, and it was nice to see Damien get his butt handed to him. But I would have liked there to have been a little more going on. I'm going to have to give it three out of five batterings. Yeah, really just another kind of a filler issue, even though this 
issue is better than some of the other issues that will be reviewed in this episode, but I only give it two out of five batterings. All right, and Suave Star on the, on the website gave it two out of five batterings, which is going to give it two out of five batterings. <laughs> Moving along into Batman Streets of Gotham number 11. I got to say, I enjoyed this uh, specifically because not only do we get a conclusion to a story that started just about a year ago, but we get a conclusion to the story. We get a little bit... We already knew this in the last issue, but we, we find out who abuse is... We find out uh, the, who this Colin character is, which we, like I said, we found that out in the last issue, not this issue, but we actually see it happening in this issue, and it makes more sense, and this actually, like, to me, this character is somebody that I would enjoy being around as, like, the Ragman-type character, where, you know, they do their own thing in their own little part of Gotham. You know, I imagine that abuse will probably not be in the... Jewish area of uh, of Gotham City, considering not only is Ragman there, but Azrael's trying to take a stake, I guess, of that too, a couple issues ago. Needless to say, I'm interested in the character abuse. I, I, I really am. And now that Damien knows who abuse is, and abuse knows who Damien is, that's gonna that could present something interesting. And now, the what I'm really curious to know is what in the world is going to happen this month with Streets of Gotham considering Dini's story has been drawn out for so long. The same exact story arc has been drawn out for so long. I'm kind of interested to see what exactly is going to happen in this next story arc. So overall, I'm going to give this issue three and a half batterings out of five. Well, I am glad that they finally wrapped this up, but like Dustin said, this is just with all the delays and everything. It's kind of gone on for a while. It was nice to see Damien get humbled a little bit. Like I said, with Red Robin, that seems to be a theme going on in the Bat Folks. Maybe people are finally discovering, okay, let's take this kid down a notch. The problem is, this was wrapped up. The way that this was wrapped up and everything, I could really sum up this issue in one sentence. Damien and Abuse stop Mr. Zaz. There really wasn't that much more to it. Do I think we'll see Abuse again? Maybe one or two more times. Otherwise, he's probably going to fade away into the obscure character zone. Maybe he and uh, Vale, not Vicky Vale, but Vale, that horrible, like, Danny O'Neill character, you know, will have coffee together talking about being forgotten. Them and Looker. Yeah, Looker, who's a let, let, let's, maybe Looker will kill them and complain about her dress being ruined. Three, yeah, uh, three out of the five batterings for the main story. It wasn't yeah. bad, but it wasn't spectacular. Yeah, it was good to have a conclusion to a storyline like everyone else has been saying that was kind of dragged on for quite a while because of Deanie's absence. But um, yeah, it was the the end. The issue was kind of it was kind of quick. Uh, there wasn't a lot that happened, so uh, I'll also give it three out of five batterings. All right, and then the, the so that'll give the main story of Streets of Gotham number eleven a three out of five batterings. Going to the co-feature, again, I'm interested in the character Kate Spencer. This co-feature has not given me enough story to really make worthwhile. And honestly, at the end, when we get all of these co-features, because we know that the Manhunter co-feature is going to cease in June, it's going to be the last part where Manhunter is going to be in the co-feature, and then July is going to start with Two-Face, which can be interesting, but I don't know that I really want to see Two-Face as a co-feature, but whatever. We'll see. 
the the co-feature in general, I'm interested to see when they combine all of these together if it actually coherently makes sense between all of these different, you know, seven-page things in each book. Because honestly, I'm not really feeling this 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 co-feature just because it's so short and it doesn't really seem like anything's really accomplished. I I think the idea of Kate Spencer is an excellent idea. I like her as district attorney in Gotham City. And I think she brings a lot of history, well not history, but she brings a lot of like different events that have happened within the DC Universe to Gotham City by her being there and her knowing different things and her being parts, part of the Birds of Prey for a cer certain amount of time. So I mean, there's certain aspects of the character that I really like. I just don't like the story that they're telling me because it's so short every single time. Which, I know a lot of people, other, other people have had this complaint because they say, well Manhunter should have her own book. And then they give her own book, and then they get canceled after 12 issues every single time. So, uh, overall, co-feature, cool I'm going to give 2 out of 5. I'm going to have to agree with Dustin's 2 out of 5 assessment. Yeah, Manhunter was, has been a co-feature cool that up until the last probably three issues of Streets of Gotham that I was really enjoying. And now it just seems like it's hit this wall, and it just is like treading water. Um, and not a lot's going on. Uh, I will say that a, a bad um, Manhunter co-feature to me is still a lot better than a good question co-feature. I don't know if that's really saying anything at this point, but I'll give it two out of five batterings as well. So that's going to give that two out of five batterings. Now, one thing I got to say is, you you made a comment that I got to I got to jump on. You said Manhunter co-feature or Manhunter in general has been good in the past, and now it's suddenly hitting a wall. I find that very true, considering you know when this co-feature was going on for the first, you know, probably eight issues. First couple issues, kind of rocky. The whole let's chase Jane Doe through the forest for seven pages was kind of ridiculous. But then there were some issues that were pretty good. More recently, the last couple ones were really good about her in court and her and Two-Face killing the judge and Two-Face orchestrating this whole thing about how to get out of jail and stuff like that. That was interesting. Now suddenly, she's on a search for her son, who's run away from L.A. and has come to Gotham City. I'm sorry, but I like I really don't want to... I, I can't even imagine how this is going to wrap up in only 14 more pages without it just being, Oh, we're going to look for my son. Oh, he, I found my son. Oh, we're going to take him back to L.A. And I'm going to move back to L.A. and stay out of Gotham City. Which it seems like what's going to happen with her... With everything that's going on, because that's just the way it is. So anyway, Gotham City Sirens number eleven can't really say anything good about it. Uh, I'm gonna give it two out of five batteries. There were some bits that I kind of enjoyed, like Poison Ivy getting the job and saying, "Haha, I learned that from Lex Luthor firing someone on the first day. I'll have to thank him at the next Legion of Doom meeting if we ever have one." The whole twist with where the neighborhood dogs were going. I kind of saw that coming in the back of my head, like, maybe the hyenas are eating them, and yeah, they went there. That whole dog graveyard thing kind of reminded me of Watchmen a little bit. Uh, I'm, I've been a defender of this series sometimes. Not a strong defender, because there really isn't that much defense sometimes. I, I liked the Christmas issue, but some stuff like this... My brother saw this comic in the car. He asked me to what it was, and I described it to him as Poison Ivy... Harley Quinn and Catwoman being roommates and he said that it sounded like a bad sitcom. Then he asked me what happened that issue and I said Poison Ivy gets a job and 
Harley and Selena have to solve a mystery about missing animals, and he says, yeah, still sounds like a bad sitcom. So, it, it, it is kind of weird, this issue. I mean, I'm hoping that they'll improve, but otherwise, I'm going to have to say three out of five batterings. Overall, for $3, this was garbage. Why would I care if Harley and Selena go on a wild goose chase for missing dogs? It turns out to be pretty pointless because, like Josh said, in the end, if they walked into their backyard, they'd see all the dead dog skeletons and realize that the hyenas were, for the most part, responsible. And Ivy going power crazy in Star Labs on her first day, that was, that was really shocking. No, not at all. I just, I just don't really care about this book. And sometimes, yeah, the stories are fun and entertaining, but then there are other times like this where it just seems like a complete waste and Paul Dini is just writing filler issues because they want him to write something. So overall, I'm only going to give this one out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give it one out of five batterings. Batgirl number nine. Decent issue. The the only thing I have as a complaint about this is the fact that the, like Josh said during his review, he said, you know, there was a story taking place in Batgirl and Red Robin. Suddenly Batgirl, you pick up and nothing's going on. Even though there's still a story going on in Red Robin having to do with Batgirl. And that was an annoyance, and I and I found that really annoying when I picked up the book and read it myself, especially since I read Red Robin right before it. So it made perfect sense to go flowing into Batgirl and pick it up, but it didn't. But this was, again, this was going back to the good Batgirl story. Not that last month's issue was, was bad or anything like that, but... It, it wasn't it wasn't the same as what we've come to expect from Brian Q. Miller in Batgirl. It wasn't you know there wasn't as much comedy as there normally is. There was, uh, I, I shouldn't say comedy a, a balance between comedy and action. That's all. So overall, three out of five batterings. Yeah, uh, like I said in the review, and like Dustin kind of said at the beginning of his, the way that this crossover sent it was just weird either they should have had all the Batgirl and Red Robin issues for that storyline connect or none of them at all which would have been fine they just had Batgirl guest starring in Red Robin the fact that they're bringing back Calculator oh. a lot of fans had the general consensus last year that Calculator was just overdone as Oracle's arch nemesis it was, you know, they had to move on to something else, and he became too powerful, and he merged with that Kilgreave guy, and now, supposedly, he's able to go on the internet. Whatever happened to the end of that god-awful Oracle miniseries, where she said that if he ever goes on the internet again, she's going to detect it, and she'll go after him or something? Apparently not. Now he's got the corpse of his son there, which I'm a little curious about that, because there wasn't much left of Marvin after he was viciously almost eaten alive by Rex the Wonder Dog. I, this, this is a good and enjoyable book, and I'm liking the cast in it, but when you're bringing stuff like Calculator, and when you reference the Oracle miniseries, you kind of lose two and a half batterings for me. So this is going to be two and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, um, this was an enjoyable issue. Um, it's fun, like Batgirl usually is. But I agree with Josh. I'm not at all really thrilled about Calculator coming back. But I'll give this 3 out of 5 batterings. Zayas on the website gave it 4 out of 5 batterings. So that's going to give it a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Alright, moving into Detective Comics. i got to say I'm, I'm kind of liking 
the wrap-up. I've liked the things that have been going along with David Hine and the Arkham Asylum stuff from Battle for the Cow last year. The one thing that I'm not really understanding is I get that we're seeing an inner monologue of Jeremiah Arkham, or so we're meant to believe it's Jeremiah Arkham, but the problem is that some of the stuff that he's saying doesn't make any sense. And I'm assuming that the three beauties are just different personalities of Jeremiah Arkham. I'm just hypothesizing. I, I don't know for sure. I really didn't read that much into it to figure, try to figure it out. But the three beauties ended up having the same face. And either Jeremiah Arkham went completely nuts before he went into the room to see these beauties that he had before or he saw he was seen before, or they're all just made up in his brain, because it doesn't make any sense, and he, killed the, he kills them all, and Batman just stands there and is like, oh, well, you killed them. Well, I'm sorry, something's off in Jeremiah Arkham's brain, which, yes, we already know that, but the inner monologue is the one thing that's kind of like, uh, this is kind of annoying, because it's not really explaining anything to me, so what's the point of it? It's just there to confuse me. But other than that, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this goes on, and the fact that the solicitation for one of these episodes, or for one of these issues of Detective Comics says that Batman has to fight his way through Arkham Asylum because he's trapped inside, so that, that could be coming up in the next one, too, so I'm interested in that. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to give this 3 out of 5 batteries. I'm enjoying this, and I liked that we kind of got some wrap-up to the whole Black Mask slash Jeremiah Arkham thing after after everything that we've seen the past year and the reveal that they did. You kind of need to do a little look back and piecing the things together. I'm liking the art in this, and it didn't suck as much as some of the other stuff did this month, so I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite here. I honestly didn't really... This whole three beauties thing um totally not interested and don't really care about this uh and i guess i'm still missing batwoman and detective now so i'm only going to give this two out of five batterings so that's going to give detective comics 864 three out of five batterings the question cool feature i'm pretty sure that we're all in agreement uh, zero out of five batterings yes yes okay so zero out of five batterings not even worth talking about don't even read it they need to get rid of that cool feature ASAP. Uh, moving into Outsiders. Uh, yeah, all I gotta say is listen to Josh's review. He really didn't make any of this up. It is all 100% there in the book. It is completely dumbfounding how incapable Dan DiDio is of writing a book. Uh, I almost said zero. But I am going to give it uh, a measly 1 out of 5 battering just because the Looker, as some may not know, the Looker is a character from the 80s that was a part of the Outsiders, and I like the, the throwback, but that's about it. Yeah, um, as the resident continuity cop and dork, um, I do have some holes in my knowledge, I do have some gaps, and uh, this was one of them. Uh, Dustin did inform me in between some of our little snippets that we've recorded that Looker does have a rich history, which I, I did manage to miss, so, you know, that's, there's one hit for me, but, my gosh, if I was a new fan, this would not make me interested about reading about the Looker's old stories in Batman and the Outsiders at all. This was horrible, and the cover was like, 
hey, people like Twilight. If we do this cover, maybe people will buy this book. And this is about the outsiders. You know, why are we doing these, like, this vampire supermodel who, you know, I guess was in the outsiders in the old days, but this vampire supermodel and this guy that's hunting her and was just really weird. And then the fashion designer gets the sword from... I can't even finish this. I just want one, no, zero. Zero out of five batterings. Yeah, I think Josh not being able to ex- finish his review should tell you that this was not very good. Dan DiDio, man, you suck. Uh, that's all I've really got to say. I'm going to give this zero out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Outsiders zero out of five batterings. All right, moving into Batman 698. Don't really have a whole lot to say about this book, mostly because I get that it's a two-part story about the Riddler. I don't know how how or what they're doing with this. I'm kind of lost because I'm not real sure exactly what's going on as far as how this... Well, really what it comes down to is we need to figure out who this Sebastian... We need to figure out who the magician is. And... That will play into, okay, why does he despise all of these arch-villains, and why is he trying to take them out, or at least take people out and frame them for these murders? I'm sure that'll all come into play, and we'll find out very soon. But right now, I'm kind of at a loss, and honestly, the cover of this book was really annoying. I don't get the... like I don't really understand Tony Daniels' interpretation of... Of the Riddler, I don't, I don't understand why he has to have this ginormous grin like he's the second cousin to the Joker. I don't, I just don't get it. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm only gonna give this two out of five batterings. Uh, I'm gonna give this four out of five batterings. I, I liked the focus on the Riddler. Now that we need to know what he's doing again, now that he's left the Gotham City sirens, it was something a little different. And uh, the art wasn't too bad to look at. Four out of five batterings. All I'm going to say is I can't wait for Grant Morrison. Two out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to take us into our last book, Superman Batman, number 71. I thought this was kind of a letdown, this giant story that was supposed to be defining the the uh, the new way that they were going to do Superman Batman where we're going to have story arcs that involve story arcs or st- events from the past. And this one had the Our Worlds at War banner over it and honestly it didn't feel like it did at all because it had very I mean it had things to do with it but it didn't have things to do with it that were linked to it directly Um, and that being said I was kind of let down with this I was hoping it was going to be a lot better and I just hope that Paul Levitz which the funny thing is this next story arc that we're going to get from Paul Levitz has nothing to do with it previous event that has occurred in the DC Universe. So, we'll see what happens. Two out of five batterings. I'm going to say one out of five batterings. This could have been awesome using this title to do some untold gaps in Batman Superman's history. They chose Our Worlds at War, which is a storyline that almost nobody cares about. And you're going to tell us the untold stuff of a story that nobody cares about. And not only are you going to do that, but you're going to do it in a confusing way that sucks and is boring. No thank you. One out of five battering. Really, this whole storyline to me was just almost felt like filler. Almost to buy time for Levitz to get on the book. 
Um, there were not a lot of surprises, but there were some fun moments in this in this issue that I liked, but nothing really exciting or worthwhile here. I am a lot more anxious to see Levitz and Jerry Ordway coming on the next issue, especially Jerry Ordway. But uh, the artwork in this book was good, but just kind of a letdown on the whole story here, even though I saw what Joe Casey was trying to do. I'll give it two out of five batterings. All right, and uh, Steve J. Rogers gave it two out of five batterings on the website. So that's going to give Superman Batman number 71 two out of five batterings. That's the end of our review wrap-up. Let's throw over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello there, faithful listener, and welcome back to another edition of the fantastic Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick, and today I'm going to be guiding you through a book from the Batman series in the 80s, which collected Batman issues 417 through to 420. It was first published in 1988, and the issues were written by Jim Starlin, who has worked on Batman, Detective, and he also wrote the upcoming book that I'll be reviewing on Bat Books for Beginners, The Cult. The art was provided by Jim Aparo, and he's also worked on Batman, Detective, Legends of the Dark Knight series. So clearly these are two guys who are very familiar with the character. But enough of all that, let's get on with the story. How's Batman going to deal with one of his toughest foes from the Soviet Union? America, two mysterious figures, one large, one normal, arrive by boat on the shores of America and are greeted by the government's agents expecting a drug delivery. However, all the agents are killed by the one large figure. Commissioner Gordon is in a private briefing from the FBI and the Russian government, informing him of the arrival of an assassin called the KG Beast. He's extremely dangerous, no one knows who he is, and he's cybernetically enhanced. And he's here to undertake a secretive mission that the Russian government were not able to prevent, to assassinate several important figures working on the world-famous Star Wars defense program. Two influential figures have been killed already. Batman and Robin listen in on the meeting from the roof, and Batman heads across town to secure a scientist he knows is working on the program. However, the KG Beast is there already, he throws the scientist off the roof when Batman arrives. But Batman does rescue Jason Green, the scientist, but unfortunately his neck was broken before he was thrown. Even though Gordon has been told not to include Batman, Gordon decides he must. He gives Batman a list of people likely to be assassinated by the Beast. As Batman prepares his next move, letting the Beast come to him. The Beast then manages to sneak into one of the target's houses and place a poisonous bottle in the fridge disguised as OJ, killing another scientist and his wife. Next, at a secret lunch fundraiser involving a guest speaker, one of the targets on the list, the location is kept top secret. 
However, the beast's assistant still manages to get his way into the kitchen and poison the soup, killing everyone at the event, over 50 people, as a statement that the beast cannot be stopped. However, Batman almost captures the two of them as they make their escape, but fails. Batman thinks the only way he knew about the location is that someone on the inside is working for him. The KGB later he overhears two cops talking about the new target's location. Batman scours the underworld for the arms dealer that's worked with the Beast. One talks that he sold a bazooka to him. The Beast arrives at the location he overheard and prepares to fire his bazooka at the target from across the street. He thinks it's too easy and suspects a trap, but he fires anyway. Batman appears and tell him, tells him he's only managed to kill a dummy. Batman confronts him, the Beast flees with Batman pursuing. The Beast escapes, but Batman thinks he's now come across someone better at this game than he is. At a hotel containing the last two targets, Batman is disguised as one of the cops. He notices that the target's door handle to his hotel room is different to the others in the hotel, but he's unable to stop the target from using it and dying in an explosion. The FBI agent rushes the last target into the elevator, but soon realises it's a trap. The elevator is stopped, and cinder blocks are thrown from the roof by the beast down towards the elevator, killing one man. Batman climbs up the rope, fights the beast who tries to escape again. Batman slides down the rope after the beast and manages to trap the beast's arm with a rope that he is hanging onto for dear life off a building. The beast decides to chop off his hand with an axe and escape, vowing to return for Batman and Bruce explains the situation to Gordon, there is one target left, and that is President Ronald Reagan. Reagan arrives in Gotham and is soon kidnapped by Batman, and Batman explains to him the situation and the plan they have devised. The President goes along with it. Reagan is escorted to a helicopter on the roof. The Beast's assistant hang glides in with dynamite attached to his chest, but Robin, Jason Todd, soon deals with him. But Gordon is dressed as the president. The real president is elsewhere, with Batman and an agent from the FBI, who Batman knows is the inside man. The Beast attacks and nearly succeeds, but Batman manages to stop the attack, forcing the Beast to go into the sewers. Batman pursues him, and a mighty fight begins. The Beast runs into a cul-de-sac with no way out in the sewers. Batman, rather than fight him, decides to trap him in the room leaving the beast on his own, trapped forever. Or is he? Dun dun dun! Where is he? I don't know where, where he is, he found us. He must have friends. Friends? Hmm. What's this guy? Someone knows where he is! Nobody's gonna tell you nothing. Now, I enjoyed the concept of this book. I thought it was interesting to involve politics and the Cold War. And clearly it's obviously set in the 80s, but I still think it's a fairly good, a fairly interesting time with the tensions between America and Russia, and it's a interesting story to deal with an American and a Russian hero and villain. Had a bit more depth than some stuff I'm used to, and due to the nature of the Cold War, I thought it was quite an interesting story. There were a few little problems, like for instance, when the scientists were apparently guarded by tight security, the beast manages to break into a house and swap someone's orange juice for poison, things like that sort of 
didn't quite make sense. However, I did like the fact the Beast is shown as ruthless from the start. I thought he was a good villain. He was creative. He was cunning. Similar to Bane, but he's got a job to do. He's got to complete his mission rather than a personal vendetta. But I feel like this character was surely a blueprint for the for Bane coming up in the future. I thought it was an interesting thriller-style set of issues. And I suspected more things were going on as I was reading through it. It was quite interesting, quite compelling to read. I thought the beast chopped off his hand when he didn't really need to. He had an axe. And rather than chop off his hand, he decided he could have just chopped off the rope that Batman was hanging onto, saving him a hand. That was another bit that didn't quite make sense for me. I did really enjoy the art. I thought there were some great action scenes. It was dynamic. It was clean and tidy in areas and also colourful and uh, clearly Paro knows how to use has a great use of colour he seems to adopt a blend of an old fashioned style of book with more modern stylings, bit of a combination of both I didn't like the ending very much with the beast being left in the sewers Batman should have either fought him or handed him over rather than just leave him to die in the sewers. But he didn't, fi- he didn't feel he could beat him, probably. But it was a strange way to end it. Not a satisfactory conclusion for me. I didn't want to kill the character. But they probably didn't want to kill the character of the Beast, in case they wanted him to return. But it was an interesting and different challenge for Batman, with a villain who was very successful, and killed many people. And it was good to see a major challenge for the Dark Knight. And just as a little note, during the Batman Year 3 story arc, which I haven't got to yet, Batman does remark to Nightwing that after these events, he did call the police and alerted them to the Beast's location. And this is highlighted as an example of a decision he would only make while under extreme duress. But clearly, Batman was struggling to beat the Beast, he decided to lock him up, and then for some reason decided to call the police and hand him over. What made him think the police would be able to handle it, I don't know, considering he's been killing everyone in Gotham. I thought Jason was fine as a character. I see resemblances to the old-fashioned Dick Grayson Robin, and the claims that Jason Todd is a clone of him are now becoming more apparent. He wasn't very different to Dick in this story. I did feel that the whole plot point of the traitor in the FBI, who was... uh, giving information to the beast was all solved a little bit easily I had I don't think any reader had a chance of figuring out who it was we were told it was one of the several identical six or seven FBI guys there was no clues as to who it was you never had a chance of figuring it out just got to a page where Batman went it's you isn't it and he admitted to it a bit weak but overall I enjoyed it it's a solid story yes it does have some weaknesses uh, with the plot but it had a lot of intrigue and I really enjoyed reading it. So I'll be giving it four out of five batarangs. Well, that's the review of Ten Nights of the Beast done. 
And next time I'll be reviewing The Killing Joke, one of the most acclaimed and highly praised comics of all time. We'll be returning to Barbara Gordon, since she's now retired as Batgirl, and we'll be learning her ultimate fate. And, of course, the little side note of learning the origin of the Joker. So if you're interested in that, look forward to that massive book next time. I've been Nick. See ya. All right, so let's go into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. On May 19th, we have Batman Streets of Gotham, Volume 1, Hush Money, Azrael, Number 8, Batman Streets of Gotham, Number 12, Batman the Brave and the Bold, Number 17, and Superman Batman, Number 72. On May 26th, we have Batman Long Shadows, Batman Return of Bruce Wayne, Number 2, and DC's Greatest Imaginary Stories, Volume 2, Batman Robin, Detective Comics number 865 and Gotham City Sirens number 12. As far as what we will be covering on the next podcast, we'll be catching up uh, with because of the delay in podcasts. We'll be catching up and we'll be covering Batman Robin number 12, Batman Confidential number 44, Red Robin number 12, Batgirl number 10, Batman 699, Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne number 1, Birds of Prey number 1, Batman Streets of Gotham, number 12, Asriel, number 6, and Superman Batman, number 72. So a decent amount of comics, but by that time, we'll be all caught up with all of the comics uh, from the past month and a half. So, with that being said, as always, you can go on to the website, and you can check out all the daily news. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and even YouTube. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. And you can join the forums. You can also, if you're interested in becoming the number one Batman fan of thebatmanuniverse.net, we are going to be having a quiz show sometime in the, in the future. If you're interested in having your knowledge put to the test, you can send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. And let us know that you're interested in becoming the number one Batman fan of thebatmanuniverse.net where you will be tested in every way, shape, and form related to Batman, about everything Batman, basically. And there's an excellent prize package that will be awarded to the fan, as well as the title, which is the most important one, of being the number one fan of the Batman universe. So, that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. You got Josh. And this is Zach. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Goodbye. I was looking over Apple's uh, shoulder when he read Batman and Robin, issue 12. What even happened in issue 12? I don't remember. Uh, well, can I spoil you? Yeah. Can you spoil me? Yes. Can I spoil the story for you? I really love being spoiled, so please. Uh, Joker is Oberon Sexton.
And Red Robin issue 12, it's like, the big reveal is, the reason why Tim thought that Bruce was alive, he saw a picture of a pilgrim. <laughs> well done, Chris Yost. Ooh, next week is Return of Bruce Wayne number one. Wow. He's alive. I saw a picture of him. He's a pilgrim. I think it's going to be really good. It probably will be. I'm just tired and cranky. This is going to be an interesting podcast. You are usually cranky. All right. right. See your comment. They, they they broke up. Well, they'll get back together. Yeah, they're like Ross and Rachel. It's you know. Did you really just make a Friends reference? Oh I'll God. be there for you. I'm enjoying Gotham City Sirens, although like some of the issues more so than others. My my brother asked me to describe Gotham City Sirens to him because he saw the book in the car, and I said it's Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn and their roommates, and he said, "Oh, it sounds like a really bad sitcom." And he's like, what happens in this issue? Poison Ivy gets a new job, and Harley and Selina try and solve a mystery about missing pets. He said, yeah, that still sounds like a sitcom. Hello. Hello. Zachary. Did we lose him? Yes, we did. Interesting. He hated Gotham City Sirens so much. He just couldn't stand the continue on. Oh, this is not going to be one of those days. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to go by 10 o'clock my time. There's lots of love on this podcast.